Hello and welcome back to another episode of Faking Injuries. I'm Noah, here with my co-host Charlie, and we are both dumb Americans working at the very bottom of the American financial corporate ladder. Besides being the name of our Cayman-based corporation, Faking Injuries is also a podcast built to grow the game of soccer in America. In doing that, we often speculate wildly, so much so that our lawyer requires us to read this statement, we are not suable. This shall be considered satire in the name of the law, the end. Now that we've covered our legal behinds, let's get into today's episode. Unsurprisingly, we're going back to the World Cup well. This tournament has given us a lot of material to work with, to grow the game, which is our goal, to be approachable to diehard fans and novices alike. So we'll do a final recap episode and give awards after the final But we just have too many miscellaneous ideas, notes, satirical banter surrounding this tournament, not to give our audience, but more importantly, our future investors, these insights and thoughts from our brain. So let's get into it, Charlie. Starting here, I have this titled American Capitalist Suggestions for FIFA and its search for ever more money and damage to world football. That's brief. That <laughs> yeah. That could be a book title. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. But let me start with one suggestion, which is World Cup, greatest spectacle in all of football. But there's still great players that are left at home watching from the sidelines. I think we could alleviate just a little bit of that pain by letting every team in the World Cup take one player, not from their country, but from their continent. And let them fit into the playing squad, all right? This could look really interesting in South America. As much as we've shit on the Fox commentators, the one thing they've been right about is that, yes, Brazil does have a lot of good players and could probably have three teams at this World Cup. Sure. So a lot of Brazilians that could fit into Ecuador, Peru, and other World Cups, etc. So I have a few questions. How... How do we decide who gets to pick first? Like, is there, is there a draft? Are we ranking this by which country has fired off the least amount of missiles? Um, which country's oil reserves are the largest? Like, who gets to pick first? How does the draft go? That is interesting, right? If we consider the political element to this, like, hey, we don't need to kick the next country that starts a war for no reason out of the World Cup, but they just pick last in the next draft of yep. one supplemental player. So a few ideas or examples, I guess, of this in practice would be like Gabriel not getting picked for the Brazil squad, and now he's the starting center back for Ecuador. Yeah. Or if we think about maybe the best striker in the world these days plays for Man City, but calls Norway a small fishing country in the north of Scandinavia's home country, Erling Holland, he should have been at this World Cup, right? Could you imagine him with England, a little four four two, him and Harry Kane up top? We acknowledge there's a lot of potential weird mechanics to this. Everyone would probably choose Erling Holland as their number one priority. And if there's a tie, he wouldn't get to go. So that would be the weird game of chicken involved in this process. Got it. So there's a little game theory to this process. I would love to see like Ivan Tony just slot into the Japan squad. Just something weird, like unexpected. (laughs) (laughs) But he's just their talisman now. So the initial criteria I'd set out was 
it has to be a player from your continent. Okay. But I think it's way funnier. <laughs> it's probably better if it's just any player in the world <laughs> or in any other World Cup. Yeah. Like Hyunmin Sun slotting in for Ghana. That would be cool. What if there's just some prodigy in North Korea that we don't know about and South Korea decides to take them under their wing? <laughs> and that is the path forward to peace on that Korean peninsula. No more DMZ because of one North Korean wonder kid. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so I certainly appreciate you and hopefully the listener indulging me in this rant of an idea. But I've got another one for you. This won't surprise you. Americans... We have a hard time with penalty kicks, just knowing what to call them in the first place, yeah. understanding the format, and once we do become familiar with it and accustomed, we just have ideas for how it could be better. And my suggestion is, what if we added a two-pointer? <laughs> it's like basketball. <laughs> it's like the most American article you could ever write. Ten things that should change about soccer. <laughs> yeah, don't call it football. Number one. Two pointers. <laughs> We're not saying two pointers everywhere, like in regular play. Yeah. I'm talking only in a penalty shootout. There's the usual X on the spot where you've seen all the shootouts at this tournament take place and goes back and forth until one team has scored more than the other. But imagine when the numbers get weird and like a team is down one or two. Is it the 18 yard box? Is that what we call the edge? Yep. Place it there. Okay. All right. And if you score from there, it's a two-pointer. <laughs> Let me flesh out the logical conclusion of this, because when we see teams go down big, they have to shamefully walk their ball back to the two-pointer and just keep <laughs> letting them fly. <laughs> and if you thought we were done here with suggestions and how to adapt penalties, you'd be wrong, because we've got an even greater bonus slash amendment to add, which is... You get a one-point bonus if your goalkeeper wears a blindfield and doesn't concede that goal. We know this is going to be amazing TV because we've all seen the movie Dodgeball, when there's an electric shootout where a blindfolded man wins. So we're hoping to transition this to football, right? And so similarly, when teams are down big, when they are shooting, we're going to see them move it back to the two-point line and just try to launch bombs and then... <laughs> Have their goalkeeper sadly blindfold himself in humiliation, <laughs> diving cluelessly from side to side. So if he saves it blindfolded, their team gets a goal. Exactly, but he doesn't even have to save it too. So if they just blast it over, that counts as well. I like it. I like it. This is like a bird box, but in <laughs> the soccer pitch. My... uh. My father, when we were watching the other day, had a funny suggestion. He said, they should just remove offsides. Be a lot more fun. A lot more goals. Yeah, that <laughs> is. That might be the most American take possible. My other favorite one, um, especially when you're watching at a bar with Americans, is uh, they'll always call a free kick a penalty, no matter where it is. It could be in their own half. Oh, or call a card a flag. Yeah. yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, we made quite the ruckus while watching the France-England game because there were penalties in this one. But we had to demonstrate to the American fans there by pointing to the spot, which was just an assortment of Stella Artois beers on draft at our table. Mostly we, empty. <laughs> mostly empty, but we stood up, pointed to the spot. Even the people that just thought they were going for a nice brunch, 
they knew that this was an amazing game. It was so much fun because I don't even think we were that drunk. It's just we were the only ones who really cared about this game in the bar. <laughs> we were getting looks from all over every time we were screaming, holding each other when a penalty was happening. I mean, it was unbelievable, but England in the end disappointed us and our bank accounts. Yes, no doubt. Thanks, Harry Kane. But let's not try to keep recapping. Keep it at a high level, moving from bit to miscellaneous bit, starting with the Portuguese national team and talking about a few of their clubs as well. With Portugal's exit from this tournament, that means they're going to be heading back to their respective squads. And when you think of what that actually looks like, right? Players getting back from the World Cup. They're going to see their their boys, but a lot of whom maybe from the same national team pool or not, they didn't get to go. And nowhere is that going to be more prescient than at Wolves. For those that don't know, Wolves is basically a wannabe like Portuguese national team, like a B team for them, kind of just keeping players on the reserves, letting them play in England. Huge cohort of Portuguese players there. So when the players that play for Wolves and the Portuguese national team roll back to camp like Ruben Neves and Mateus Cunha, I feel like there's going to be a weird pissy, passive-aggressive vibe from the rest of them. Most notably, Gonzalo Guedes, who was like the first man out from the squad and really thought he was going to have a great Qatari vacation. <laughs> so that's something to watch out for if uh, either of those players get Tanya Hardinged over the next week. But before Ronaldo flailed out of this tournament, it was great to see him get cucked by a younger Portuguese man with a lot more natural testosterone, keyword being natural, mm. in his system. Gonzalo Ramos, 21 years old, playing for Benfica, who's just been an absolute revelation, both him and the Benfica squad this year. But he had a coming out against Switzer win, a hat trick, and an assist. And some unbelievable finishes within those. The first goal was insane. Yeah, and this isn't to recap the game at all, but it's important for... People who are trying to get into the game more to know that with great players who are over the decline, we need to always be picking out the next one, especially when it comes to Ronaldo. We've been projecting the next Ronaldo for a long time now, right? Like who's in that list currently or in recent memory? Probably Joe Felix, Raphael. Joe. British. Joe. Raphael Loud's definitely in it and probably the most similar player to Ronaldo when he was young and he's just an absolute stud and has been probably Portugal's best player for their own individual club, but for some reason does not start for the national team. Both these guys. And now we've got Gonzalo Ramos. I think when you have three heir parents, it's officially time. Christy, just keep on scooting, keep it moving out of a big five league. Do you think Gonzalo Ramos is going to go for similar money to Darwin like next summer? Because it only takes one big season for Benefica for the Shrekers to get 60 mil, apparently. Yeah, I was just reading on the sporting director. He really is sticking to his guns. And he's saying, this is a sporting project, not a financial project. We are in no financial problems. They just topped a Champions League group that featured both PSG and Juventus. He's bluffing to some extent, but he said, we'll only sell players if our release clause is met, which is right. A typical line, but at least with Darwin, that was a pretty fucking fee. And there's at least 
some credibility in what he's saying there. And they had the leverage to do it because they're pretty far and away going to win the Portuguese league. At least it looks that way now. They're having a much better season than Sporting and Porto. Like you said, finishing top of the Champions League, that's huge for them. Gets them some extra cash. And they did that after selling, what, 100 mil worth of players in the summer? That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's a great balance sheet over there because one player who's been talked about a lot for good reason is Enzo Fernandez, which this is probably a good opportunity to do our Enzo love. He was brought in for what? Like 12 million euros from Argentina. River Plate, I think if not one of the other preeminent Argentinian clubs. It was River Plate, and I think it was one of their record fees they've gotten for a player. You know, when a star player comes in one of these South American breeding grounds, there's just that added element of, like, this is a guy who's going to slot into one of the best national teams in the world. So he's going to be an absolute star, right? And it's just funny with Enzo Fernandez. Like, literally 5-10 matches into his playing career, the top clubs, Real Madrid, Man United, all interested in him. Maybe in January. Well, statistically, he's been one of the standout midfielders we've seen in years. I mean, he's like top percentile for pretty much everything. Progressive passes, like passes per match. He's like the most active passer in Europe. Accuracy, shots, goals plus assists, even defensive actions he's contributing. So he's really a do-it-all, all-action midfielder and can run forever. He's got a boot. As well, a flair for the spectacular. He almost had a damn near buzzer beater in extra time against the Netherlands, hitting off the post. All this to say, Benfica's recruitment, I mean, it's got one of the best academies in the world, right? Produced Jao Cancelo, Ruben Diaz, Bernardo Silva. Jao Felix. The list goes on, right? So this probably is one of the best run clubs in the world, and... Maybe Gonzalo Ramos will go for 68 million euros in the summer. Yeah, it's incredible. The rise of the Portuguese league has been unbelievable, which is why hopefully in the next month, kind of after the World Cup stuff dies down. We will be purchasing a Portuguese club. Yeah, we'll be (laughs) purchasing a Portuguese club and doing an episode. Yep, in no particular order. So thanks again to the Portuguese national team, Portuguese clubs alike for giving us all the content of the past five to ten minutes here. Let's keep it on in our non-sequitur fashion, moving from random bullet point to random bullet point on my outline. Next one, bringing it back to American soil. I need to talk about two things done by the nonprofit that is U.S. soccer. As Americans, sure, we cuddle up to capitalism wherever possible. But... Even to me, as an American that works in finance, it was kind of disgusting to see how much our nation was slutting out its soccer brand in the name of top-line revenue. Probably the two greatest examples in media from this World Cup are the call and the journey. Let's start with the call here, because this is what really set me off, and it's what I'm more peeved about out of the two. Every player who gets selected for the national team They don't just see it show up on a website that says, hey, the team has been finalized. My name's on that list. No, they get a call from most likely the manager of their national team saying, hey, Charlie, you've been doing great, chap. Uh, We'd love to have you and Cutter at the national team. How's that sound, eh, bud? You there, Charlie? (laughs) Do you not want to come, Charlie? (laughs) So that's the process. They get a call. 
But up until December of 2022, that call was never filmed, put on Twitter for the whole world to see. Maybe it was, but it wasn't sponsored. And that's where I draw the line because (laughs) they posted every single one of these videos on Twitter and it's Greg Berhalter calling Brendan Aronson. The call sponsored by AT&T 5G. Oh, God. I do have to say I like the videos where it's like a guy getting called up for the first time ever and like his teammates are with him or his family's with him. Those are awesome videos. I like those. But don't throw like a Gillette sponsorship on that. Like, <laughs> it might be the most American thing you could do in relation to the sport. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're not going to change up penalty kicks, just keep advertising every conversation you have. Yeah. So I really detested the call sponsored by AT&T. But if I had to go good cop, I appreciated the journey. You know they hired a marketing department to come up with the names The Call and The Journey. <laughs> they, pay, they paid them hundreds of thousands to consult on that. You know, Ernst & Young, McKinsey, top <laughs> consulting companies got to fire three less people because of these decisions that were made. It's beautiful. But in The Journey, these were three-minute, I wouldn't quite call them interviews. I'm sure some players needed more prompting than others. But they just went through kind of their backgrounds, their playing career, big moves either within like the youth national team setup or for a lot of these guys when they made the move to Europe. And it was really cool, especially for like some dual national players, Serginho Dest. That one was interesting. Tim Weah, I didn't realize he grew up in the U.S. and then moved to PSG at a young age. I thought he grew up there. So some good facts to find along the way. But for any U.S. men's national team fan, I'd highly recommend it, even after the fact, just to learn some more about these players. That was cool. But again, fuck the call. Fuck the call. We're a Verizon podcast now. If they do it in 2026, we are boycotting the games. Yes. Yes. We will break our iPhones. That's, that's a lie. We're definitely going to the games. <laughs> Next point here, because at Faking Injuries, we do have the long-term vision of becoming owners in some fashion, majority, minority second division, eighth division of some European club. But I think this tournament has made us realize if we're going to be investors, maybe the best opportunity set isn't necessarily constrained to Europe. At least that's what I've been thinking because watching two of the surprises in Japan and Korea, it just hit me that these clubs have huge upsides, right? Like we've seen the influx in the last four years, even since the last World Cup of young mid-20 players from Japan starting to make the move and saw a similar vibe with Korea. It could replicate Japan's success, which I think is not done, but it's at a much lower, more approachable starting point. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if this is historically accurate, but it seems like the best World Cup appearance for Asian countries ever. I think it was 2002 that Korea actually made it to a semifinal as well. Was that when they hosted it? I'm not sure. Because I know they did host it in like that eight-year span, but probably does make sense if Korea was making it to a semifinal that they might have been hosting it and doing the Qatar. Pay off the refs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Pre-Qatar making that one phone call just to hire an oil prospector to come dig a hole. That had to be a big day for them when they were like, wait, can they check my backyard? The call. Sponsored by (laughs) AT&T. Sponsored by Shell Oil and Gas. The Drill. Um, to take us back on track here, though, I like the idea of potentially shopping for a club in Asia, especially in Japan, because we could almost frame it 
to our friends whose money we're going to steal, like, hey, give us $50,000 and we'll invest in this club and you'll have equity in it. And then be like, hey, you want to come skiing for a weekend and eat some sushi and check out your investment? Meanwhile, they're not going to get any money back. You know, this is this is our money now to play with and buy players. But No, and we're always concerned with our heavies, right? We've talked about it. Yeah. Whether it's a great operating environment, one that more closely resembles the United States or not, we need heavies. Yes. And I think there's probably the best heavies anywhere in the world in Yakuza. We're going to have some... On the ta- payroll. We're some- not going to be on theirs. They're going to be on ours. We're going to have some tatted Yakuza heavies. And if any of our friends come calling for their money, talk to the Yakuza. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, yes. The investment thesis becomes more and more salient with each episode. I'm excited. This is going to be the, the most bizarre multi-club portfolio you've ever yeah. seen. Like, We'll send our Yakuza to our Swiss club, stop at our Norwegian second division club, like bust up our rivals' dressing room. <laughs> I would love to see all our ramps on like our club philosophy just put in like a pitch deck, <laughs> like on paper. Something to look forward to, folks, investors. All right, Charlie, let's finish strong with a few quick hits, hopefully ones that should appeal to the soccer fans, diehard and non alike. Starting with last episode, we helped to metabolize our pain in seeing Germany, the country that we had a lot of futures on to win this World Cup. We saw them exit early, but we're confident that Bayern Munich was going to win the Champions League on the back of all this pain and regret. Those odds might have been dealt a blow when the star goalkeeper of Bayern uh, broke his leg this week doing something not too dissimilar to what you were doing this past week. So run that down for us. And how are we processing this and reframing yet again? Yeah, Manuel Neuer just out for the rest of the season skiing. There's got to be some money he has to pay Byron for making this mistake. I think there should be a clause in every player's contract that stipulates no skiing in the Berlin nightclubs and no skiing in the Alps. (laughs) No, I... Would be shocked if that wasn't there already. So it'll be interesting to see the payouts that might come out of his Bavarian bank account. I am worried about our Champions League future, though, because it seems like they're not confident in the backup and they might go shopping in January because they do want to make a run in the Champions League. Yeah, Julian Nagelsmann seems like he's keeping everything together on the pitch in the dressing room, but that's only because he can crack the whip on the backup goalkeeper. That backup goalkeeper is now going to be his starting goalkeeper. He cannot like this person, and that does not bode well for Byron's chances. No. Let's hope they can sign someone. Maybe Bono, our (laughs) goalkeeper of the tournament, probably. Yes. Let's transition to some other things that stood out to us, specifically when we were watching the England-France game. And one that came up immediately was a pitch invader. Within 30 seconds of starting, they had to like stop the game, blow the whistle, do a full reset. My initial thought was, why do it in the first 30 seconds? You could stay 80 minutes of the game and then pitch invade. Yep, when maybe there's even more eyeballs. Sure, you got to run across the pitch right as the one of the biggest games of the tournament started, but why not watch the game first and then invade? You're just getting kicked out of the whole country immediately. They take you straight to the Doha airport after that. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, We've tried to pay attention and relay these important elements of a huge tournament like this and that is pitch invading right also cameramen i don't know 
what's in the water. I don't know if, you know, these cameramen and producers are extra horny because the Qatari officials have banned one night stands, but they have just been solely panning 90% at least to women often on the most beautiful side and staying there like longer than one would normally be allowed to stare. And zooming in too, you know, if it was your own girlfriend, you would be pretty uncomfortable watching it on TV. It's like 90% beautiful woman from X country and then 10% a dude who's either divorced or never married with an unkempt beard wearing an orange suit for the Netherlands because with dyed this is orange all hair. he has in his life. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a mix of the horny cameraman and also the horny producer, right? Because you got to imagine there's a guy. Like, what does the org chart look like? There's a guy at Fox Sports 1, right? He's looking at 10 monitors, each different camera angle of the actual game. And he's going, let's cut to that one of the, you know, hot woman in the crowd for 10 seconds, please. The Croatian bodysuit. That one went viral. And to your point, is it one horny producer that just gets his underlings to be horny for him? Like, it might not be that everyone (laughs) is so juiced up, but if this is what your performance is based on, this is the criteria set out for you to find sexy homo sapiens, you're only as weak as your horniest link. It's the classic chicken or the egg dilemma. (laughs) Is it the horny cameraman or the horny producer (laughs) that comes first? Definitely one uh, to follow, and as we continue to network in this space, maybe find someone more on like the media production side and be like, listen, who are the horny ones usually? <laughs> I'm going to throw it to you. You've been gallivanting across the United States this week. I understand you may or may not have experienced a glitch in the Matrix, maybe just the footballing Matrix. I don't have a lot of context of this, but I'll just throw it to you. Because it sounds like there's stuff you got to get off your chest. So I was on a flight from Utah to Colorado. And, you know, of course, you got to download some episodes, some movies for the flight. The first thing I downloaded was the latest episode of White Lotus. Have you seen it? I have not. Unbelievable show. You got to watch it. But it has a Hammers tattoo, a West Ham tattoo. I noticed it the whole time. And I was like, that's interesting. Never really gets brought up. But then all of a sudden, he starts singing the song, uh, I'm Forever Blowing Bubbles, Pretty Bubbles in the Air. You know, the chant that they do. Uh-huh. I thought something was a little off. These Hollywood writers were trying to tell me something. I was like, huh, maybe I do like this song and I do like West Ham. Anyways, I finished the episode. The Netflix HBO algorithm does its thing. Next thing you know, I'm watching this movie called Bullet Train with Brad Pitt. You know, all action, murder on a train type of movie. And one of the characters has a flashback. One of the assassins on this train has a flashback to their childhood watching West Ham versus Chelsea. 1-0 and celebrating and the same song is playing i'm forever blowing bubbles pretty bubbles in the air (laughs) this happens on the same flight like half an hour apart okay so at this point something weird is happening hollywood's trying to tell me something i think i'm a west ham fan now is what the conclusion is did west ham beat chelsea yes nil too wow in this flashback it's like west ham one chelsea nil that's probably the most poignant part is not only are they sending you just a lot of west ham signals but it's against chelsea your team being dethroned where are you at in all of this are you just adding them as kind of a sidecar team or are you out with todd Bowley and the ownership at chelsea i'm still processing this but i mean two references in the same flight I think the algorithm's trying to trying to get me to ditch my Chelsea fandom. Okay. I'm considering it. I mean, I've had a lot of thoughts too in this domain of 
whether to stick with my team like any other European fan would never even think of changing, or as I've kind of helped to reframe, I'm more of a fan of ownership groups than football clubs. And with FSG putting the Liverpool asset, the crown asset in their portfolio up for sale, I've got to consider whether I can still be a fan of a team that is owned by a Qatari-Saudi consortium. FSG out, Noah out. Precisely. And you might find that weird too because, Noah, you've been singing the praises of Newcastle United, the Saudi pension fund's premier asset. Isn't there a little cognitive dissonance there? Absolutely not. Because I can get down with the Saudis, but after everything we've seen at this World Cup, a Saudi-Qatari consortium? Uh Uh-uh. Got to write that off. You got to draw the line somewhere. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I'm just imagining any like actual British fan listening to us <laughs> talk about how easily we'll just ditch our teams. <laughs> In all seriousness, I'll probably stick with Chelsea, but I just I really had to think through it after after that happened to me. Could you imagine if the Scouser media got a hold of this and like because they're always looking for Americans to dunk on? Mm. This could go super viral for all the wrong reasons in those corners of the world. That's okay with us. You know, please dunk on us. Put us on the headlines. Front page news. Let's do it. I feel like we're in a good place to wrap up this extra random mailbag. We're going to do a whole recap on the semifinal and final and give out some awards. But we just want to give you a little update on random things that popped up in our brains throughout the week. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Faking Injuries. And until next time, love you guys. Bye. Bye.